0: Um, Good morning. Good Good to see you here this morning. I'm going to begin our Easter series here in just a second, but there's a couple of little uh, housekeeping items I wanted to do. It's impromptu. um, Wasn't on my announcement list this way for this morning, but something really fun happened, and I want to uh, give the Lord praise for it, and then I want to give you an opportunity to participate in it. so Justin Simmons is speaking Thursday night, but um, long before uh, he and Taryn ever came to Jubilee, my favorite player was yeah. Justin Simmons. Um, it was like a kiss from God when he walked through the, the door. And, um, you know, he is in my Hall of Fame already, has been, and I think maybe one day he will be. Um, but this is my jersey, and um, it's, I've had it for since he's come to Denver um, and wear it on the game days and uh, wear it when my, my grandson, one of them, had a birthday where it was Broncos themed and everybody had to wear their jerseys, and this was mine that, that I wore and told all the boys they need to have a Simmons uh, jersey, <laughs> and um, so anyway, what I, what I felt like with the youth is um, what can we do? I'm, I, we're never just asking you, we live that too. And I thought, okay, I have this, this jersey that means a lot to me and I will ask Justin if he will sign it and then I'll offer it to the church for an auction. And it, the money's not, it's not for me, it's for our youth. All of it to go for our youth and especially for this month with outreach with what they're trying to do. We're not trying to, to we're trying to make it special. We're trying to have a lot of good giveaways, a lot of fun things. People have donated a lot of really interesting stuff, but this was one that came from my heart. And so um had Pastor Jake this morning while we were getting ready, um, and Pastor Jordan, could you just see if Justin would be willing to do this for us? So he signed it and then he gave it back to them and he said, I know this matters to Pastor John. He said, So um, in place of it, tell him to keep that one, and I'll bring a game jersey that's signed to be able to give away. So I'm bringing enough embarrassment to him this morning, I'm sure. So um, I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart and from our church's heart, thank you for doing that, Uh, Justin and Taryn. We appreciate you guys, and I hope that as you attend here, I've tried to tell our church, could a celebrity come and just go to church here, and then the pastor's the one who's crazy about the... (laughs) (laughs) But I thought um, what we had done with everything that's been donated uh, is to use them for giveaways during the month um, at Youth on Thursday night, but I thought maybe this could be a special way, and maybe you could get the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Um, if you might be interested in a game-signed jersey by, um, by Justin Simmons, then let's um, take bids on it, right? We'll do it as an auction right now, but if you'd be interested in it, um, see Pastor Jake, and just maybe just say, hey, here's what I would uh, be willing to give. It's, you're not trying to buy... A jersey. You're trying to support our youth, right? We want to see this generation come to Jesus, and so it's an opportunity. It's a fun way to see that uh, happen, and um, we'll we'll let you know how that goes. And I think something very special uh, could come out of that. So just what a um, what a <laughs> what another kiss from God. So uh, just awesome. Okay, uh, our series that we've chosen. For Easter, we're calling it I Am. And if you know the Bible a little bit, you might recognize the significance when God revealed himself. Uh, And we'll look at it. Moses is called to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, slavery in Egypt. Um, God commissions him, and then Moses asks a legitimate question. Um, They're going to ask me who sent me, and what do I tell them? And God reveals himself as I Am that I Am. Tell them that I Am Am. Sent you, um, and so I'll talk about that a little bit this morning and the significance and the relevance of it. Then we'll move into the New Testament because um, for those people at that time, especially here, I, I try to say it this way: Last night in Western Christianity, it's all we're all brothers and sisters. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible was written, as Jake just mentioned, it was written. Uh, at another time and another place. Now, what makes it unique is that the Bible speaks today just like it did then, but in context, it was written to people who lived a completely different way and understood culture in a different way than we do. Does that make sense? And so the word I am, it was actually spoken of as the unutterable. They were so particular in their respect for God that they wouldn't even say the word out loud so that they never treated it like it was some common name or, or got casual with it. Yeah. And so I think what we have in Western Christianity, that they, um, they would not have understood how we view it. We have a very casual attitude yeah. towards the Lord. That doesn't mean we don't respect him, but even the New Testament, when Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, the very first words are our father. Father. So ultimately, God reveals himself. The ultimate way he wants us to relate to him as we're his children, he's our father right? But I think because of our culture, we tend to treat that in a very casual way. And yes, I think what the Lord wants is that there's not a formality. I think that he wants us to have a very close relationship. Uh, Our guide in Israel, Reuben, my friend, he says one of the things that I appreciate, he's not a believer, right? He's not a believer. He's Jewish, looks at what we do. And I've had many conversations with him about Christ. But he says one of the things I appreciate about the way, that you pray and that you talk about the Lord. You talk about him relationally. And we know him very formally. God, very formally. And he said, I appreciate the, the informality that you have, that that close relationship. And yet, I would say to you that maybe the one thing that we struggle with is that, it's the old saying, familiarity breeds Contempt. Do you know what that means? It means you can become so comfortable with something that you can become casual with it. You can actually be disrespectful. Not meaning to, but you just treat it in a casual way. Yeah. God was never meant to be treated in a casual way. Yes. Well, he's our father. He's the awesome father. He's right. the incredible God. And so they would have understood something with it that we don't understand and that we, I think we lose a little bit of it because, yeah, we have the the relationship and we have the informality, but we also treat it sometimes so, how about this? Uh, It has become a colloquial saying today, oh my God. And even people that don't speak English, I see this when I travel to different parts of the world, they may not speak English, but they will say OMG or oh my God as though it were the natural thing to say in a crisis or when they don't like, or when they're surprised by something. So what is that? We've taken the name of almighty God and reduced it to something so casual we don't even think about. Does that make sense? So try to connect these two things. So Jesus comes then into the world, and even though he's all God and existed forever, in human flesh, he came to the earth a little more than 2,000 years ago, and Jesus begins to use the term, I am. Now, we read the Bible from Western eyes. We see nothing wrong with that, but the Jews of that day would have seen Jesus. One, he is either so disrespectful that it's worthy of stoning him, because he's treating the name of God in a very casual way, or it's Jesus revealing himself as God. It was really powerful. So we're going to try to go down that road real quick and, um, and take it from there. All right, so uh, let me begin this way. Jesus spoke seven I am statements, and they're all found in the Gospel of John. I think that's interesting. So I'm going to read them to you very quickly. They're not going to be on the screen. Um, I'll give you the references. If you don't catch them all, you could just look up I am and you'll find all of them. Uh, but Jesus said these seven things about himself. I am the bread of life. You find that in John 6, 35, 41, 48, and 51. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's John 8:12. He said, I am the door of the sheep. That's John 10, 7, and 9. I am the good shepherd. That's John 10, 11 and 14, I am the resurrection and the life. It's John 14, 6. We'll actually do resurrection and life for Easter. They get fits right there. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. And he said, I'm the true vine. That's John 15, 1 and 5. So even though Jesus said all of these things, uh, we read about them in the Gospels. Our message doesn't begin in the Gospels. It begins in the Old Testament all the way back to the book of Exodus. I know all of you are like, all right, Exodus. Exodus has a lot of good in it. Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 15. The context is Moses. Um, Moses is a Hebrew, um, but he was raised as an Egyptian. For the first 40 years of his life, he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And it was only once he realized who he was, and then he saw how the Egyptians were mistreating the Jews Moses lost his temper and he actually killed an Egyptian who was abusing a Jewish person. Tried to cover it up, but everybody knew about it. And when it got revealed to him, he ran away into the desert. He ends up on the backside of the desert um, after he's 40 years old. And um, he, he finds a family that takes him in. He actually marries uh, a sheik's daughter. And for the next 40 years of his life, he tends sheep on the backside of the desert and then when he's approximately 80 years old is when God comes to him and calls him to be the deliverer. So Moses, four parts of his life, 40 years uh, as an Egyptian, 40 years uh, as a Bedouin, and then 40 years as the deliverer of God's people. I just think it's interesting that if you'd have asked Moses the first 40 years of his life how it was going to turn out, I bet he never would have said, I'll be a shepherd at some point or I'll be a deliverer. You just never know in your life what God has tomorrow. Hang on. Hang on. You never know how it's going to change. So we pick up Moses' story when God is calling him, and it's really interesting and really unique, and so you can follow along with me. It's Exodus 3, 1 through 15. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a blazing fire. Look at the wording of this, because it's easy just to read over the story and not really realize what's happening. So Moses is out tending the sheep in the desert and he comes across a bush that's on fire and what makes it unique is this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. It's not being consumed. It's actually a metaphor for the Christian life. We need to catch on fire and not be burned out because of it. We need to be able to continue in that lifestyle by having God replenish that fire in us so that we stay in that place. That's easier said than done. So the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, wouldn't you? Yeah. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see. This is important. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him. From the middle of the bus, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Look at this real quickly. Many times we're asking, God, speak to me. Talk to me. Show yourself to me. What do you want me to do with my life? How's this situation supposed to go? And we just are looking for a voice to speak to us or some kind of a sign. Here's the point. God gives a sign, but until you're paying attention, God generally doesn't speak. He waits to see if you're perceptive. So sometimes we're praying, God, would you speak to me? And then he'll send you a burning bush, but it never looks like a burning bush. It looks like a person usually. One that's in crisis. One that's got something going on in their life. One that may have a message to you from God. But if you just walk by them because you're too consumed with everything else to hear the voice of God, you can pray all day long. But until you pay attention, you won't hear a thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't walk by things. Don't ignore things. If there's something unusual happening suddenly, pay it. it may be God trying to speak to you. You never know until you turn aside what God may have for you. Saturday night responded far better. You want to know what a burning bush looks like? He wears a Yahweh shirt and a jacket to cover it up. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. So we get the picture that this is, this is serious, it's sober, it's holy. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he jumped up and down in excitement. What do you do? He covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. He'd been taught his entire life that if you see God face to face, the glory of God, it will kill a human. So Moses' experience with this, he sees this thing, he turns aside to see it, God speaks to him, and the reality of the situation is it is so holy, and God is so awesome, and he is our father, but he is God. And Moses' response to that is to cover his face in respect, and to not treat this as some casual yeah. football game. Yeah. But to treat this as though this is a one-of-a-kind experience. And therefore, I will give a one-of-a-kind response to this. Does this make sense? Yeah. It's to honor the Lord. To, uh, people talk today. Today. Uh, they'll say, I I saw an angel and we hung out and we slapped high fives. Dude, every experience with a person in a Bible where an angel revealed himself to them, that person fell down like they were dead. Many of them began to worship the angel and the angel had to stop them and say, only God is worthy. But what is it about the holy that causes a human to realize I'm only human? We treat everything so casually, like it's all, all one big party. And the holiness of God is a reverential thing, a fearful thing, a wonderful thing, a glorious thing, and a great thing. And the God of the universe reveals himself as our father, but you're never to be sloppy with that. Does that make sense? And today the church is so, we treat it so casually. Yes, he wants us to be comfortable, but no, he doesn't want us ever to disrespect it. So he reveals himself then in this situation, uh, his plan and his name. So the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down. This is interesting. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. I will lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, every ite lives in this place right here. And it's the modern place of Israel today. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. <laughs> now, look at this. God said, I'm going to lead them out. I have come down to deliver them. Now, you go... For I am sending you, we just transition from God doing it. When God wants something done in this world, look at me real quick, he'll find a person. He will find someone who is willing. He is always looking. The Bible says his eyes look to and fro upon the earth to find people whose hearts are loyal and willing. So the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested God. Who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? I think this is so, it's so legitimate. I think it would be all of our response. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this will be your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, You will worship God at this very mountain you are right now. But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, here it is, I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So for a moment, let me talk to you about the derivation of I am and then the wording that we use today. If you do a direct word study on I am in translation, you come up with this right here. I am literally means Yahweh, which is why it used that term as God was revealing himself. But the way it would have been spelled in ancient Hebrew, they had no vowels, only consonants. So Yahweh was Y-H-W-H. So look at this real quick. This is a neat story too. One of our tech guys brought this to me last night, and he did not see the notes. And he just said, I had commented a long time ago, he had a shirt like this. I said, that is a sweet shirt. And he had been looking for one for me for months and couldn't find one. Finally gets it, brings it to me last night, has no idea what I'm teaching about this weekend. Now, to you, is that just coincidence? I mean, how good is God? He's moved through two shirts for me today. (laughs) I don't know which one I'm more excited about, to be honest with you. (laughs) Of course, Justin, it's that one, right? I'm <laughs> teasing. So Yahweh, the derivation of it is... Yeah, so um, get this idea with me. God is spirit. And the Bible says when he created anything that's animated, he breathed the spirit into it so would it live. When, when he created man he, uh, man, he breathed into the nostrils of man his breath. And when your breath leaves you, it goes back to God. Yeah. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh... The animals were the same way. God breathed into, them. he animated them with his spirit. So, pronounce this with me, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's literally, it's not a name as though we're trying to figure. It's, it's the represent. It's the spirit, Yahweh. It's a powerful understanding of it, and so this. Revelation of who God is and what's going on is so holy and so powerful that they they treat this name, it's called the unutterable. They won't even speak the name. They refer to him as the divine. So that they're never casual with the name. Even in Israel today, if you find an observant Jewish person, they won't say the name. So I'll give you three things here, real quick, that that kind of lead us then on a journey from where they were and the respect that they had and why they had it to then Jesus coming into this place and how we need to receive this today. So the third commandment of the Ten Commandments was you shall not treat the name of your Lord God casually or in vain is how you probably are. But in vain means to misuse it, to treat it casual, to disrespect it. When you say OMG, you are disrespecting the name of God. No believer in this room from this point forward should use that name regardless of what uh, 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 culture does. It becomes an automatic that we say without thinking about it. But all we're doing is lowering in the culture the name of God. I have stopped people that I love when they use his name in vain and tell them I don't like that. Stop it. You can say anything else. Curse words don't bother me. Mostly. But don't use God's name that way. It's not okay. It's not right. We should revere it. And they had this reverence for it. Part of it was the Ten Commandments, the third one being, you'll never misuse the name of the Lord your God. And so even today, Jewish people who are observant Treat his name very respectfully. Let me give you three ways. The first one I just told you. When they refer to God, they won't use the name, but they will call him the divine. The ancient rabbis taught this, that if you misuse the name, there's no place for you in the life to come. Now, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. But that shows how overboard they went with the respect that they had for God. Teaching the people, don't mess up with this. Uh, Another one was really interesting, and I've got one or two people in our church to do this too. When they write the name of God, you'll see people do this today who are very observant. They will write it G underscore where the O would go and then the D, so as not to even write the name in a way where it could be used or misused by someone in a casual way. And then the third one that I've had to culturally uh, it's kicked me around. When we go to Israel, one of the most famous places we go to, you go ahead and pull it up, uh, Jeff. Let me show you this real quick. This is called the Western Wall, or you might know it as the Wailing Wall. Is a very, um, so what it is, it's the last visible part of the retaining wall of where the temple was. So if you were to look at it right now, above this wall is where the Golden Dome of the Rock is that was built about 1300 years ago. But before that was where the Jewish temple stood, the first and the second one right there. And so this is the retaining wall that kept the land from sliding down when they put the weight of the temple on part of it. So this is a holy site to Jewish people. They feel that this is the closest place where you can go and pray, the most direct place where God hears prayers. And in fact, you see all those little cracks in the walls where the stones sit on them. If you go into it, there are hundreds of thousands of little pieces of paper where people write prayers on them and then put them in the cracks. And I've actually, when we've gone, had people with prayer requests, write them down and we'll take them. I think one time we put like 1,500 pieces of paper in that wall. We were not liked when we were doing that it was just so overwhelming and I only offered it that time and never again uh, after that but they go to the wall now pull it back up for me let me let me teach on it for just a second so they go to this wall so, so look at the picture uh, on the far right side not the guy in the white shirt but against the wall there's a guy with a blue shirt wearing tan shorts do you see what I'm saying okay so what a lot of them will do is go to the wall and they'll put their hand on the wall and out of respect while they're praying, they'll just touch the wall, lay their head on the wall. To go down to it, you have to cover your head. It's a sign of respect to cover your head and a disrespect to walk in with any, without any covering. So what we tell our people is, bring a hat with you because they won't let you down to the wall without it. You've got to have a covering. And if you forget, they have a covering for you, but 100,000 people before you have worn that covering... And I don't know and cannot guarantee what their level of hygiene is. So you're taking your chance. So there's just this respect that goes with it. But the thing that more than anything, I've had to teach our people, and then for myself, we treat the things of God and the presence of God in such a casual way. I'm not saying you don't love God, I'm not saying you don't respect God, but we've never been taught to fear the Lord. Not to be afraid of him, but to respect him. We just don't teach that. So that those who have been with me, when you go down to the wall, you can pray at the wall. You don't have to be Jewish. You can go down to the wall and you can pray there. But when you leave the wall, the way you leave the wall, you walk backwards from the wall. This is completely foreign to how we do it. And once you're about 50, 60 yards back, then you can turn around and walk. Why is that? Because they consider to turn your back on the presence of God as an act of disrespect. So we would go, that's so religious. Unless your heart is to completely respect the Lord and to honor the Lord. Now, if you make somebody do that, of course, you're forcing something on them. But if your heart is, I want to honor God. It's amazing. Every person we brought there, when we tell them why, every one of them does it. This is the most amazing thing. It's such a powerful thing. It's a... A reverential thing, a, a, a thing that establishes this, um, <laughs> the glory of God. I, I mean, he's both. He's our father and he's the mighty God. Yeah, that's right. He's the God of the universe and the one who knows how many hairs are on your head or how many there aren't anymore. <laughs> and I look right at the bald guy, right in the <laughs> God's timing is so perfect, bro. It's like... <laughs> He's the God who put the stars in their place and the God who also picked out your personality. So you think biological reasons explain your existence, and I would say to you, it was pre-planned before eternity that you would be here. Your life contains something this generation needs or you wouldn't be here. This whole reverence thing for God also fits into how we reverence other people and ourselves. We live in a place that doesn't reverence life. That's not a statement about babies. It's a statement about the whole, won't shoot people. Not think twice about it. Take lives and it's no big deal. And I say it would stem back from the beginning that if you can disrespect God, of course I can disrespect God's creation but if I respect God, it brings a whole new level to how I look at his creation. Does that make, make sense? So this respect issue, I have to say this too. While I may not have been a statement right then about a baby, I'm all for babies. And for the protection of babies. Real quick, look, if you disagree with that, you think that's political, you miss the point entirely. Is because I fear the Lord that I care about what God creates. Hear me say it. And if you're like, I hate that, what's wrong with you? Wow. So when Jesus uses the I am, it's a revealing unless you're God. It's blasphemy unless you're the one (laughs) that it's revealing. Let me give you two scriptures that when Jesus uses the I am, it either shows forth the anger that it causes and they consider it blasphemy or it shows forth the power of God. The first one is John 18, four through six. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He's just been arrested. Uh, He's just been betrayed by Judas. The whole thing is about to take place. Uh, He knows exactly what's going on. But this little scripture about Christ's sacrifice we read the story, but we blow by this, and I don't, it's in there because it's important. So look at this, Jesus fully realizes all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them, the mob that had come to arrest him, and Jesus says, who are you looking for, he asked, and they say, Jesus the Nazarene, and then Jesus says, I am he. He. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I heard somebody teach one time that's like, you know, the the power of God that causes somebody to to fall. I would say, Jesus is revealing to humanity, I am. And when humanity comes in contact with the power of God, it's not some little, easy, light, casual thing. Boom, it knocked even people who don't like him down to the ground. And we read over that and we ignore that. This is the power of God on display when he speaks the name. What would it be like today? If the weight of the Lord. Mm. See the other place we read about this in the Old Testament when they dedicated the temple, the presence of the Lord, the Shekinah is what it was called. The glory of God. Glory means weight. The weight of the Lord was in the temple. To the people it looked like a mist. But it was so heavy. They were on their knees trying to pray. And when they went to stood up, the glory was so heavy, they couldn't get up. They realized, humanity realized. Can you see me down? Okay. (laughs) Humanity realized. Jesus never had to deal with these modern. Oh, come on. (laughs) Humanity realized the presence of the Lord is a weighty thing. It's maybe a way to say God, when he throws his weight around. It's not, a, it's not a thing to joke about or laugh about or treat in a casual manner. It's a serious thing. So I think that Shekinah was this. Jesus is saying, I'm he. It's me. I am. And the power of God falls on those who loved him and those who rejected him, but he is who he is. And my Bible says it'll happen for another time. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It will happen. Every knee, every tongue. It will happen. This is the the awe of the Lord. The awesome of God. Uh, Here's another one. John 8, 58. If you are like... um, if you're searching and seeking legitimately, your heart's in that place, I want to know if Jesus really is He is God. Did he ever reveal himself as God? Let me give you a scripture right here, John 8, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. So this is Jesus. Before Abraham was born, say it with me. I am. So a group of religious leaders who were supposed to know all about God and be looking forward to the coming of Messiah Missed it entirely because they were into their religion and lost the heart of it. There are people all over the world today who know about God and they don't know God. And knowing about God, here's the difference. Knowing about Him and not knowing Him can just make you mean and cold. And knowing Him changes your heart and your life. So Jesus Himself reveals Before Abraham was ever born, I've existed forever. I am. Now, what would they have heard? He's blaspheming the name of God. So the next verse says they picked up stones to stone him. That's how serious this was. But it says Jesus hid himself. And I don't know what that means exactly, how he did that. In the middle of a crowd, how did he hide him? Was it a miracle? Was he just... I don't know <laughs> what he did, but... All right, so if you've got the online notes, you want to fill in the blanks, here we go. I am the light of the world. John 8, 12. One of the revelations of Jesus speaking the I am, and then what the I am does, I am the light of the world. Pull that up real quick, let them see it. Jesus spoke to the people one more, once more, and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, look at this, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light of the That leads to what? Ah, this is, okay. Here's Number one, when I saw the light. You realize when we say I saw the light, it's a colloquial saying that we use here in America to describe my eyes have been opened to who he really is. I saw the light. Uh, The the very famous uh, old hymn, I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I? That means the light. Spiritually, your eyes have been opened. Your heart, it's been revealed to you. He's the Lord, I see it. I grew up a Catholic kid. I was taught until I was 12 years old all about the Lord. I I did my first communion. I went through catechism. If you'd have said to me, okay, who's Jesus? Who's God? Who's the Holy Spirit? I could describe to you each part of the Trinity. Tell you that they were the whole, the triune. I could uh, I could recite to you the Apostles' Creed. I went to confession. I'd go through my rows, I knew all of those things. I knew about all of those things, and I never knew Jesus. Look at me. I never knew him. But I could converse with you about him, which is what fools you and people. Because you can talk about him without ever knowing him. It's like talking about the president or talking about... Uh, a famous person. We talk about them, but we don't know them. We just know enough about them. But you have no relationship with them. Knowing about them is not the same as knowing them. And Jesus himself even said, on judgment day, people will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. How could that be? How could it be? It's the devil's counterfeit to allow knowledge about God to be out there without relationship with God to be out there. He's not afraid of you knowing about God. The Bible says the devil knows and believes, but it doesn't save him. It's when you know when the light goes on, when you know that he's the Lord, when you believe that he's the Lord, when you don't just know it here, but you know it here. Look at me real quick, guys the distance between here and here is way more than 12 or 13 inches. From here to your heart can take 50 years. Or in a split second, the light can go on. For some of you sitting here today, you know about him, but you don't know him. And I'm not being ugly and mean and talking down to you. I'm trying to tell you the truth right now and love your soul well. Do you know him? Uh, The apostle Paul said, I wish you could know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How can you know anything that goes beyond knowledge? Unless... The way you know something fully is not only with your brain, but with your heart too. How do you know love that goes beyond knowledge? You experience that love, and now you you don't just have a definition, you have an experience. You don't just know that Jesus is God, he's your God. You don't just know that there's one of a trinity, you worship the trinity. He's God, he's your God. The light went on. Well, for me, let me explain to you this way. I tried to say, it th- I, when I was 12 years old, by myself, I can remember what my room looked like. I can remember how I felt. I can remember what I did. I laid in my bed, nobody talking to me, nobody else there. And I said out loud, Jesus, I want you in my life. Why would you do that? I don't know. But Romans 1 says that all of creation reveals that there's a creator so that no one in the world is without an excuse. Can God reveal Himself? Is He all-powerful? He's all-personal, but He's all-powerful. He's powerful, He can do anything, but He's personal and can come to you and introduce Himself. And at 12 years old, I cried out to the Lord, I want you in my life. And I believe that He heard the prayer of a 12-year-old boy and that He came into my life. But there was no foundation or formation to go with, so kind of just live life. And at 15 years old, I had another conversation with God. What do you want me to do with my life? And I've told that story, picked it up, Bible roulette, boom, Luke 4. Now, I don't think that's how you should read the Bible, and I sure don't think that's how you should pick your job. <laughs> okay, just, hear what I'm saying. But for me, Luke 4, verse 8, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good news. And I read it, which makes the Bible different. It's not a document, it's not eaten paper. What makes it, the Bible, it's alive, it's a living, it separates flesh from spirit. And it spoke to my spirit. Please tell me when you've read the Bible, it's spoken to your spirit. So if you haven't had that happen, you need to be asking the Lord. It's not enough to just read history. Read how it's active and real in your life today. So I read it and God speaks to me. I've called you and my spirit is upon you. I want you to preach. I'm 15. Yeah. I'll be a preacher. I wake my mom up. I'm going to be a preacher. What are we going to do with this? So we went to a pastor. We had moved from the Catholic church into an Assembly of God church, a Pentecostal church. You talk about a cultural <laughs> exchange from the church where you couldn't clap because it would kill people to the church where if you didn't clap, they'd kill you. <laughs> so we went to that pastor. Some of you heard me tell this story. And I said to the pastor... Uh, I had this experience, and I asked God what I should do with my life, and I read this in Luke, and I think I'm supposed to be a preacher, and the pastor said, son, God doesn't speak that way. It crushed me. Boom. May I never crush the dreams of someone who wants to pursue God. May I only encourage that. So it crushed me, and then for the next several years, I, I had no vision. Without a vision, people perish. I had no vision. Um and one thing led to another, and I meet Chris, and we get married, and we begin to have a family. But the Lord then reminds me, and at 23, I fully surrendered. So at 12, 15, and 23, I had three distinct times. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. I do think there's a moment in time when the light goes on, but then I think it becomes progressive. Let me explain. Chris and I have been married for 40 years. 40 years ago, 1983. so actually be 41 years this year. If if we'd have said, as soon as we say I do, love you and I'll see you at retirement. (laughs) Hope you do good. Can't wait to get back together with you. I mean, what kind of relationship would we have? But we wouldn't. My wife just says, you wouldn't. We wouldn't. Our relationship began with a place where we said I do to each other, but then it actually grew year by year, moment by moment, experience by experience, where the whole of our marriage was not what took place in 83. It's what's taken place over the last 40 years. There's a place where you come to God. The light goes on. You see the light. But then you live a relationship with him. You don't just pray a prayer and then go live your life. Does that, am I making sense to you? Yeah. This is a progressive thing in deep relationship and in awe with who God is. So the light goes on for me. I see who he is. I want him in my life. I pray God come in. So let me talk, probably somebody who understands uh, Theoretical science could explain this far better than I do. But the difference between light and darkness. The Bible says, the gospel says, the light shines in the darkness. It never says the darkness shines in the light. Darkness can't do that. The only reason there is darkness is because there isn't light. When there's light, darkness can't fight against light. Darkness can't exist where there is light. We live in a dark Time. it is so important for you to let the light of your hope shine out of your life in this world don't curse the darkness don't curse the world don't avoid the world shine the light in the world do something to make a difference in it where's my handkerchief look you may not be sweating but I'm working hard right now Let me, how am I on time? Okay. Um, let me tell you a, a story real quick about your pastor. Um, so 23, we surrendered to the Lord, um, surrendered to the call that's on my life. I went to my former youth pastor, who's Pastor Terry. And I said, Terry, I think there's a call of God on my life. So I want to serve the Lord in ministry. I think vocationally is what I'm supposed to do. And Terry says, okay, let's put it to the test. Uh, I've got a group of junior hires that I want you to minister to. That will test anything and everything in your life. Those of you who have junior hires, we pray for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So he literally opens the door, pushes me in, puts his foot in front of the door. Let's see what happens to John. But he gave me a group of junior hires. Uh, Actually, a couple of them still go to church here today. Yeah, they're here today. I mean, 40 plus years. I love them. And then he said, I want you to clean the bathroom. I'm like, Terry, didn't you hear what I said? I have a vocational call, on the high call. He said, let me show you how the high call works out. Clean the bathroom. So if you're not a servant, you're not like Jesus. Being a pastor's not to have a spotlight put on you. This is the like 0.1% of my job that looks Most of it is just helping people through life. So, serve Terry, and then the opportunity comes for us to go to Bible school. And uh, at the time, Jimmy Swaggart was the place. And you can like, if you don't know who Jimmy Swaggart is, praise God for you. That's wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. If you do know who Jimmy Swaggart is, that Jimmy Swagger. So Chris and I, I take my Colorado native wife and pack her up and move her to Baton Rouge. So this is back home for me, which you want to talk about a different culture? Louisiana is a different culture. The food is different. The place is different. The people are different. So I take my native wife and my two small children. We move to Baton Rouge. So we're going to Bible school. Uh, I went there because the youth pastor, Jimmy Swagger's youth pastor at that time had the largest youth group in the United States and we wanted to learn youth ministry at that time. So we thought, let's go where it's really happening. And we get there, while we're unloading the truck, Jimmy's on the TV confessing to all the affairs. And literally, you know, like, wow, really heard from the Lord on this one. That was, <laughs> was awesome. And, and then Jimmy wouldn't submit himself to any of the, governing authorities that were over his life he said I don't need any of that I can can do my own thing I just have to repent before God it's, if you're not under authority you're not worthy of having authority yeah. Yeah. and so he he pulled himself away and the youth pastor ended up like hey I can't stand under this so he he ends up planting a church and Chris and I Bible school, now we're helping to plan a church. Little did I know that 10 years later, that was going to be one of the most significant things. You just never know how God's moving, what he's doing in your life. Your willingness to go through it is the exact of what's going to happen later. Um, so Bible school, helping to plan a church, but I have to do something to make money to feed my family. Amy is three Brent is two. So I've got to do something to feed the family. And the only thing I could find that wasn't like, you know, hey, if we give you this job, we want you to stay around. I wasn't going to stay around. It was a means to an end. Does that make sense? And I was honest about that. I've, integrity is like, this is not a career. I hope this is not for more than a year or a year and a half, to be honest with you. Orkin pest control. So Now, look, I say that, and you have no idea. Because the houses, the water table is ground level. New Orleans is actually 20 feet below ground level. And that's why when it floods there, it's so bad. So if you know, if you've ever seen the houses, the houses are built up off the ground on piers. So they're above the ground three or four feet so that when it floods, the houses won't be flooded. It's an easy common thing there. My job was to go underneath those houses. Slimy, buggy snaky, spiders, roaches. And it was to to go towards those things. Not to make my way, but to go towards them and then to tell the people why they needed Orkin. And I hated it. Oh my gosh, I hated it. Every time I'd put those coveralls on and go underneath that house, I'd just pray, God, please don't forget about me right now. Please, 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 please. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Come on, let's get under this house together. And I would go into these houses, and one of the things that I learned is we don't have roaches here for the most part. Our environment doesn't allow them, but it's like the breeding ground of roaches is the south, and New Orleans is like the, na- the navel of where roaches. So I'd go in these houses, and if you'd flip on the light, the roaches would scatter pew, and hide But in the darkness, the roaches loved the territory. And the devil's the exact same way. In the darkness, he multiplies. And he flocks to the darkness because he can get away. People can't see what he's doing. But when the light comes on, it exposes the liar and the thief. Do you understand why it's so important that the light shines in this world today? That we don't curse this world and avoid this world, but we must let the... Am I just preaching? Do you get what? Am I taking too long? I mean... Uh, it was it was so difficult, but what the Lord would show me in those times made such a difference. So our first house that we had, the only house that we had there, it was this ratty, Flea. literally fleas. There were fleas in the house. We didn't know. We didn't know. Of course, we didn't know. Um, but we move into the house. They have roaches there that fly. <laughs> They're like two inches long, and they fly, and it sounded like a helicopter. Oh. And so I moved my native Colorado wife into this house and I'm like it's all we're gonna be okay we I promise this is not the end it's merely a stopover in the meantime and she's walking down the hallway and this flying roach comes down the hallway it's like the devil is trying to mock me while I'm telling her it's all gonna be and it lands in her hair and she's you know you can imagine and I'm, I'm looking at it, and part of me wants to laugh because it's so very funny. But part of me realizes this has probably cost you your life if you don't handle this the right way. And so, <laughs> you listen real quickly. A lot of people go into ministry, and ministry's like, hey, I was doing something else, and I was super successful, but now I'm going to bring all my talent to the Lord. For Chris and I, this is the only thing. And we've given our heart fully to it, And when the Lord allowed us finally to do it with our lives, we never lost how wonderful it is to serve the Lord with our lives. Now, it doesn't mean it's always easy, but we've never lost the holiness. We don't disrespect. Light leads to life. John 8, 12, that I just read you. Jesus is the light of the world. He also says, pull that up real quick. I'll finish this up. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Real quickly, here's the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. If you actually know him, it will reproduce his life inside of you. Jesus said, I came to bring life, John 10, 10, and not just any life, but abundant life. Abundant life is not an emotion. Abundant life is not a feeling, although it can manifest itself that way from time to time. Abundant life is even when everything else around you feels like hell, you have this life in you that you know is real, and it keeps you walking through hell. That life connects to his life, and it gives you direction of where you're... You know this world is not your home. Heaven is my home. I am passing through. This life, look at me. You want to know if you really know him and not know about him? This life has to be in your life. And I can't tell you. It's not because you smile or because you're happy. It's not happiness that I'm talking about. It's life that I'm talking about. Not lifestyle. Lifestyle is I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't date girls who do. (laughs) Woo woo. Good for you. That's nothing. Jesus said, I will write my law across your heart. So that if you don't do something, you don't do it because God told you. And if you do something, then you do it because you know it's okay before the Lord. Not because of what your church thinks, your pastor thinks, or your neighbor thinks. It's because of what God thinks. That's what's in your heart. That's life. And then, listen to me, because these are Jesus' words. I'm going to read it to you. If you have that light and that life in you, then it will connect to belief. And belief in what? John 8, 24, these are Jesus's words, look at this. Therefore I say to you, you will die in your sins for unless you believe that what? I "I am." am, there it is again, that I am God. I am the Christ, I am eternally existent. I am all man, but I am all God. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We live in a day where all we want to say is he's the light, but without that light, dude, you will not go to heaven. Mm. Hear what I just said to you. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care all the wonderful things that you do for people. The only way you'll get to heaven is based on the work of Jesus and not the work that you do. And that doesn't make me mean, and it doesn't make me a bigot, and it doesn't make me harsh or cruel. It makes me a truth teller right now in your life. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. And no man, no woman, no person can come to the Father unless they come through Jesus. That's the way. I'm not peddling religion. I'm not peddling a church. I don't want you to worship me. I'm telling you about Jesus. What do you think about this Jesus that I'm telling you about right now? C.S. Lewis said He's a liar, He's a lunatic, or He's the Lord. Which one? Your decision is how you'll stand before God to answer. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. Or he's the Lord. I say to you, he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the eternally existent one. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish It'll have everlasting life. This isn't some get out of jail free card. It costs so much for you to escape hell and make it to heaven. Don't treat that lightly. Don't treat it like it's some common thing. It's the most holy thing ever done. What do you think about this Jesus that I'm talking about right now? And I don't know, too many people in the room to know every story, to know every background, to know every struggle. I I, I don't know. But truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what I know. It matters what the Lord knows. And He knows you. And is this your moment where your eyes are open spiritually, where your heart, where God can take out the old one and put in a new one? Is this the moment where you say to Him, I believe. I don't just know in my head, but in my heart, I believe. I want You in my life. God, I turn from my way and I open myself to Your way. At this moment, the Holy Spirit has to take our service and has to speak to you. All I can do is tell you about him. I'm not him. But he's here. And his heart is for you. And he gave the ultimate to prove God's love to you. And I'm not asking you if you believe that's true. I'm asking you if you believe it's true for you. Have you said to the Lord, God, be merciful to me? God, I need you in my life. God, I don't want to go my own way, I don't want to do my own thing. He is God Almighty. And He is your Father who loves you. Will you bow your knee to that today? Will you ask Him into your heart? Will you move it from your mind only and put it into your heart where it becomes powerful? while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this is important folks it's a holy moment don't treat it casual treat it like it's holy cover your face right now don't turn your back on this now I won't embarrass you hear me this isn't for some notch on my belt this is between you and the Lord but I'm a facilitator and I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in a prayer I won't send you someplace. I won't manipulate you but I do want you to respond to me in honesty here's the question If you need Jesus in your life today, if you want to give your heart to him, if you're willing to say to the Lord, forgive me of my sins and embrace me. God, I need you. Maybe you know even more than I do, but it's never been in your heart. And today your eyes are opened. Your heart is willing. Don't ignore that. Please don't ignore that. If you say, Pastor John, that's me. You identify me right now. You don't have to be a person who goes to this church. It could be your first time or you could go to this church. But the common denominator is your eyes are open. You see the light and you need Jesus. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? If that's you, slip your hand up right now. Just pray for me. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. There's many of us. Many, 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 of us. Yeah, you can put them back down. So I'm, I want to pray. But it's not listening to my prayer. It's the prayer from your heart. Your heart. Not your memorization, your heart. That God's ear is tuned to right now. such a holy moment Uh, can we all just pray this pray after me heavenly father in Jesus name come into my life I open my heart to you be merciful to me forgive me embrace me help me God, I give myself to you. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that, listen. As I said, there's an initial moment. But it's not the initial moment that's the end-all, be-all. It's the relationship that comes from the initial moment. And what the Lord wants is for you to know Him. He wants you to love Him like He loves you. He wants you to experience Him. To know the love of Christ that goes beyond head knowledge and ends up being an experiential thing in your heart. And it begins in a relationship that you will walk out for the rest of your life. And if you meant those words that you just prayed right now, I assure you that God heard you and that He answered your prayer with a yes. And that he's writing your name in the Lamb's book of life. The book of life right now.